now the cleanest hour in podcasting with your host, Ralph Peterson. This is the Housekeepers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housekeepers Podcast. I am your host, Ralph Peterson, and I am so excited to be introducing you to Evelyn Tavernier. Is it Tavernier? Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah. All right. So a lot of times I sit here and I repeat it and I repeat it and I repeat and then I get live and I totally lose it. So no, you did good. A lot of people put an R right after the T. So it's always Travenir or Tremenir. We've we've heard them all. Yeah. Tavernier, Tavernier, Tavernier. Yeah, I like it. There's this great show. I don't know if you saw this movie about It's with Tom Hanks and he's a foreign immigrant and he's stuck in an airport and he wants to ask this girl. It's my favorite part of the whole movie, favorite scene. He wants to ask this girl out and he knows that he has to put the put the adjective in front of the verb. But he's but his language doesn't have that. So it's always afterward. And so he's practicing and he's like, bite to eat, bite to eat, bite to eat. And then he gets to her and he goes, would you like to eat to bite? Totally messes it up. Anyway, that's how I feel. It's fun. Totally fun. So I'm super excited to meet you and I'm excited to have you on the show. I'm I'm very impressed with what I know of your story. And I, I don't know a lot about it, but I do know that you you came here from Guadalcanal. No, Guada, Guatemala, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guatemala. Yeah, Guatemala when you were six. That's so super interesting to me. I'm having a little audio problem here. You can hear me though, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right, good. So it's super interesting. So I would love to just learn about that. And then we'll figure out how you became the president, young lady. Uh, You became the president of your own cleaning company. That's pretty fantastic. So that's got to be a great story. So let's start with your earliest memory, because you were six when you moved to the U.S., so yeah, and actually, memory? Yeah, and actually, I don't have a lot of memories. I just remember, you know, when we'd go to the center right in the Capitol, how beautiful everything looked. You know, the architecture is just phenomenal. It's one of those countries that it's got to be on the list, on, on pretty high up there on people's list. But yeah, it's from what I, the few memories that I have, just a beautiful, beautiful country. And yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So have you ever been back? No, unfortunately not. Haven't been back. Would love to. Um, you know, there's always uh, something that, you know, came up or work or school or, mm-hmm. you know, just just the getting rearranging your life to make something like that happen. It just never seemed to fit. But absolutely. It's as time keeps going on. I'm like, I, we need to go at least to have <laughs> the, our kids, you know, learn about where I came from and see the country and yeah, that would be that'd be pretty neat. I grew up in like a like Mansfield, Massachusetts is like my earliest memory is Mansfield, Massachusetts, which is, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. Not not a big, you know, it's a great place, but it's not like, you know, but it's still when I find myself in and around Mansfield, Massachusetts, I want whoever I'm with. I'm like, oh, you got to see where I, you know, the house we lived in and the street we grew up on. And <laughs> so I can just imagine, you know, like your mom would have such a great time doing that too, going, this is where it was or, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's, you know, probably, I don't even remember some of those, you know, family members' homes or, you know, the church that we went to or the school that I went to. Yeah. 
just at six years old, you don't have a lot of memories that, that stay with you. So yeah, I think for any, it'd be pretty interesting for me too, to kind of revisit and try to put back together the memories that I do have. But yeah. Yeah. So where did you grow up? You came to the U.S. and you went where? Yep. Yep. Came to the U.S., lived with our family in uh, Dallas with my aunt, my cousins. And so, you know, my mom's goal was always, and actually her goal was to come to the U.S., make some money, and then go back to Guatemala and build a house. That didn't happen. So um, (laughs) ended up staying in the U.S. She helped my aunt and my cousins kind of, you know, be like a homeschool teacher, help us, you know, with some things, help her around the house. And so we stayed there for a little while. Then we ended up moving. My mom met her, her husband in uh, Round Rock. And so we kind of migrated to the central Texas area to Round Rock and gosh, been there pretty much ever since. So that's where you went to high school, middle that's school, where, everything. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I went to high school, Round Rock High School, went to Texas State, not too far from there, graduated Texas State and just really kind of just, you know, stayed so what here. Was, we love it. What, what was it like growing up there? Is it a good town? You enjoyed it? You must yeah, have you stayed. It's, so. a great, it's a great town. It's on the, so Round Rock is on the outskirts of Austin and Austin's had, you know, phenomenal growth, but those little cities like Round Rock, I know, I remember when we came in the mid eighties, Round Rock was exploding then with construction and, you know, housing developments and really just the whole central Texas area was. So we've definitely seen a lot, a lot of changes in the central Texas area. Yeah, that's pretty great. And so what did you do in high school? Did you work at all? Did you ever have like a part-time job? Like when did you first start working? I didn't really have a part-time job in high school. I think towards the end of high school, I worked a little bit and it was mainly during the summers. I did, I was active in band. I loved, you know, school. I loved math. But so outside of that, I didn't really, I mean, I went to church. I didn't really have any, uh, like a weekend. Every now and again, my mom would, would drag me out on a Saturday to go help her clean her houses that she cleaned. Wait, wait, wait. Don't jump over that. So your your mom went from homeschooling to she started her own cleaning company? She, well, I wouldn't say it was a cleaning company. She just had a couple of customers that she, you know, that were religious and they, you know, they trusted her with her home. And so she had, you know, a list to help support us. And yeah, every, every now and again, not often, but every now and again, she would take me out. Of course, you know, dragging my feet. uh, (laughs) I mean, it was in high school. I was like, oh, why do that when I can just stay home and watch TV? So yeah. So (laughs) no kidding. So uh, that's perfect. Perfect. Because it's such an interesting, I'm always trying to find out like how did you get into cleaning, right? Like when, when was the moment, but you, you kind of grew up with it then. Kind of grew up with it at that point. She was a single mother of three. And so, I mean, she was, she's always been a hard worker. So she had her full-time job and then she had, you know, just however she could make ends meet to support us, you know, that's what she would do. And then including having, you know, a, a list of customers that she would go and clean their houses, you know, on the weekends. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what she did. Nowadays, we call that hustling. Yes. Right. Like she is quite the hustler. The the original grit. Yeah. Yeah, The original, the, she's the OG of hustling. That's really, really awesome. I love stories like that. And I, and I've been in that situation and I hated it, but I do look back with fondness, you know, and going for sure, man, you, you really learn the value of what it means to, you know, to work hard, what it means to have money, what it means to not have any money. 
you know, absolutely. You haven't lived challenges that that go with all of that. Yeah. It's so important, right? It's such an important, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. I work with a lot of managers managers in the cleaning industry is a, it's a grind where we lose like seven out of 10 Mm -hmm. brand new manager, you know, like first time managers, they fail really, really quite often. Quite, it's Mm -hmm. quite comical how often they fail, but I got to tell you that and fail. I mean, get fired, right? Like they've, they failed to a point where they got fired. What's, what's interesting about that is when you look at the reason they got fired, what they failed at was really, most times it's not that big of a thing. You know, it's not, yeah. I got, I got fired once because they said my cleaning staff didn't feel appreciated. And think about getting fired for that. You're, yeah. The cleaning staff don't feel appreciated. And you're like, hmm, at work or in life or what, like what? Yeah, the con- what's the context? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a yeah. really weird. So the only reason I say that is because what, what tends to happen, what I, what I realize what happens is people don't let people fail anymore, right? It's, it's too costly to let you fail. So I'm just going to fire you instead. Mm-hmm. And that's so unfortunate because, you know, as we're talking about, the failing yeah. is... Yeah part of growing it's the it's part of learning that's part the of learning. best the best lessons and i've heard this other people other business owners say this the best lessons that you will ever learn will come from mistakes that you made or you know things that you fail at yeah such a great point i remember there was this it was bill gates the only reason i'm bringing it up because it's bill gates and so everybody knows who bill gates is but he he had a, an engineer or somebody on his team that made a made an error that cost a company like millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And he went to a shareholders meeting just afterward. And the shareholders are like calling for blood. Like, where, you know, what are you doing with this person? What what is going to be the outcome? What's the exit strategy? Because we're obviously going to part ourselves with that person. We don't, we can't afford that kind of a mistake. And I remember Bill, Bill, I just said his name. What is his name? (laughs) Microsoft, whatever his name is, Bill. He said, I just spent $6 million training him. Why would I let him go? And and I remember hearing that and I was like, oh, that's a different way of looking at a mistake. Right? That's like true. That's it, a huge investment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's- I just, I just, whatever, whatever the amount it cost is what I just had to pay for him never to make that mistake again. Why would I bring mm-hmm. it? Why would I let him go so he can share that benefit mm-hmm. with another company? You know? Yeah. That's a different take on it for sure. Very different take. Smart. So high school went really well. What instrument did you play in band? So I played the trombone in high school, little the long. Yeah, yeah, that's super line. fun. Yeah, yeah, that's super fun. I remember yeah. I saw I saw the band. God, I'm having a, a real difficulty with my brain here today. Chicago, and there's a guy named Jimmy P, and he is the trombone player. And so I saw Chicago, and there was a guy. Every time Jimmy would play the trombone, all he did was yell. He was next to me, and all he did was yell, <laughs> "Jimmy P." Yeah. I was like, "What are you doing?" yeah Yeah, trombones are the trombone players are very popular in the chicago band anyway (laughs) yes definitely so so you did you did from what i understand so you go to texas a&m texas state texas state and did you work while you were going to to school yeah yeah matter of fact i had a couple of jobs i think i had a full-time job and then I would early on, I would work full time and then go to classes in the evenings. And then I think that, gosh, that took me like 
probably four years to do the what's considered the two year, you know, associate degree. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I think I cut it back to part time to try to finish school. I was kind of already burnt out at that point anyway, doing it, going that route. But so, yeah, I full, went to college with part time jobs, full time jobs. How long did it take you to finish from beginning to end? Beginning to end, probably a good seven years. Nice. Seven years. <laughs> That's a gr- so that that's really impressive. That's that's really really fantastic. And how how was how important was education to your mom? Was she very you're going to college, that's it? Yeah, I think that was probably more important to her, but she had like I grew up and that's all she talked about. You know, she just kept saying when you go to college, when you go to college. So I don't know, at, at some point it just starts getting to your mind that that's what you're going to do and that's what you do. Mhm. That's really great. Yeah. My parents never said you're going to college. I, I, I never, that expectation just was never, yeah. none of us. I'm, a, I'm the youngest of four. I'm the youngest of four. And I got to tell you, to be honest with you, we didn't even graduate high school. None of us did. All four kids. We all dropped out of high school. We followed in my dad's footsteps. He left mm-hmm. school at eight in eighth grade and thought he knew enough to go back to work. My mom graduated high school. So she's always been very Proud of that, but she could not get any of us to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, just that, that mentality, when you start hearing it, you hear it constantly. I mean, it, it changes your life. I feel like that's, you know, that's one of the main reasons I, I kept telling myself throughout high school, I'm going to college. I didn't know, <laughs> didn't know how I was going to get there, but, you know, you keep telling yourself it's going to happen. Yeah, it's really, really, your mom really did a good job setting you up for, I mean, that's a high expectation of yourself. It's a high standard. It's a higher expectation than a lot of people have of themselves. And, you know, it's for good, bad or indifferent. I'm just saying it is. Yeah, it is. I think it's important. And I think education is important. And I love that it took you so long to do it. I don't, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. I sometimes I felt even while I was going through that, I felt like, why is this taking so long? It doesn't take people this long to go to school, but I just get up, go to school the next day and, you know, until you're done with it. But now I look back on it and I feel like that was the best thing that I could have done was was to have it take that long. Not only that, to work through it, you know, to get out, to not only have, you know, to get out and only have a 10 percent debt on your college education. I mean, that's huge. So you paid off 90 percent while you were going to school. Yeah. Yeah. It's we. So I would do like one semester at a time. I would sign up for classes, get those classes done. I would actually pay for it with my mom's credit card. She was, she was like, just, just get it done. Just pay for it. So I would work and uh, pay for that semester. That semester was over. If, you know, if I had enough built up from what I worked, I would pay her all of it, <laughs> do the same thing every semester. Yeah. And just to, just to try to get out. That is so fantastic. I love everything about that. And I think it's, again, you know, we're going to get to it, but you're the president of a cleaning company and that is not, <laughs> it's just super impressive. It's not, it's nothing. And all I'm doing is I'm uncovering how it even happened, right? There's a lot of people out there yeah. who are not presidents of anything. And, you know, I just heard this fun thing where somebody, I was talking to somebody and they, they, you know, I was like, hey, maybe, you you know, I was just I'm always interested in people and finding out whether or not they'd be a good guest for the show. And I'm always mm-hmm. looking for people who are who have a good story to tell. 
And I remember I just talked to somebody and they said, well, I don't know if I have that good of a story. And I said, and I didn't mean to, but I just said, well, whose fault is that? Like, if you, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, if you don't have a good story to tell at this point in your life, whose fault yeah. is that? Like, let's, let's take off whatever's holding you back and let's get some good stories. Let's create, let's yeah. live a little, let's do something great. Everybody's got a good story. Well, not right. everybody. You probably just don't know it, but he's got yeah. a good story somewhere yeah, maybe. There or something. Maybe. But I think this just leads to you having an incredible story to tell because, I mean, let's look at it for what it is right now. Immigrant family, single mom, six years old coming to the United States. Did you speak English at the time? Did no, your mom speak English nope, at the time? None, right. No. So you have to you have to overcome all of this. You have to overcome being the new kid at school, you know, the odd kid out, the weird kid. Mm-hmm. You're in Texas, so there are a lot of Spanish speakers. Was Spanish your main language or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first language. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, which is good for Texas because it's pretty popular in Texas. So right. it's not that out of the realm. But, you know, I can totally relate to being the odd kid out and that you have to overcome all of that. And then you get yeah. out of high school and you, you have to do one semester at a time, one, maybe two classes at a time, paying for it, working on it, taking night classes, part-time jobs for seven years. That shows a level of tenacity. Like you're telling a pretty good story so far. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like this is this is the kind of story I want to hear. This is what is super important and relevant, I think. And I think, you know, it highlights the whole purpose of the Housekeepers podcast is just to highlight people like this. So it's super great. All right. So what would you, what were you working in? What jobs were did you have? Does your mom still clean, by the way? She's got we can't get her to retire no matter. She she retired from the job she had and. And then she, but she still kept or is doing, I think, two customers that she cleans. <laughs> and not only that, she still comes to the office. She comes to our office and works twice a week for part time more than anything. It's just probably the, you know, the social aspect of it. And uh, she comes in and she'll, she'll bring something to eat. So I, I just love having her around and she helps us get coordinated around the office and some office paperwork type stuff. And it's neat. I get to see her, you know, I get to see her twice a week. That is, again, she's the original hustler. Like yes, she's still got it in her. Without a doubt. Love that. Love that. And so what were you doing during high school then? I mean, or during college, what were you working? Were you um, cleaning yourself? Yeah. So I started off, I started off as a nanny. So I took care of kids and then I left that job and worked at a, an internet company. Because I figured, okay, if my background or what I'm studying is accounting, I need, I probably need to get an office job, start getting some experience. So I started going into uh, working for an internet company, doing, you know, accounting, customer service type work. I did that for a little bit and uh, then just kept kind of moving up the ladder, the accounting ladder, I guess you could call it, going into accounting assistant, staff accountant, accounting manager, controller, those kinds of those kinds of jobs that would prepare me for, you know, the field that I was studying. And it's a I mean, talk about a solid foundation to be in when you are running your own company in the future. I mean, yeah. I remember I had no desire to do any math. You know, I'm in, I'm a housekeeper, right? Like let's just call a spade a spade. I'm working in the cleaning industry and I'm kind of, you know, in that field where I'm kind of like, I don't need to know how to collect money. I don't need to know how to bid money. I don't, you know, all these things. But then the company I was working for, I recognized quite quickly that the more I said, the more I saw other people, because we're a very large company, and everybody 
has an attitude for some reason. You know, once you get into a certain level of a job, everybody starts like calling their lane. Like this is, I'm only here to do this or I'm only here to do that. And I would hear no an awful lot. And then I was hearing people above them talking about them and how often they were saying no. And, you know, it wasn't that clear cut, but that's just my messaging. I was getting like, you weren't, people were being passed over even though they are completely the right people, very capable, because they were not willing to step up and, and help out in any way or learn anything new. And I quickly just decided I was going to be the type of person who said yes. And I started to say yes. To hey, do you want to help stripper and wax the floor this Saturday? Yes. Do you want to? I got to go on a collection <laughs> call. And this guy's really been, you know, dogging us and really hard to get a hold of. And so they want me to just go there. But I don't want to go by myself. Will you come with me? Yes. Hey, you did good on that. Will you make some collection calls with me? Okay, sure. Like I just started saying yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I can't believe that was that turned out to be the greatest education of my life. And it created my ability to be my own boss. You know, I too own my own company only because I stopped saying, you know, no. Started saying <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so you having that same mentality, right? With the accounting background, I imagine that's helped tremendously in your current position. Yeah, absolutely. And actually I, in college, I struggled a little bit with accounting. I mean, it was, it's a, it is a tough profession to go into. It is, and there's so many fields within accounting that you truly can get lost. And some of that was just fatigue and just burnout, but it's a tough, it's a tough, you know, industry to be in. And, uh, but I keep telling myself now, obviously that I didn't go to school to be an accountant. I didn't, that wasn't the that wasn't the plan or that wasn't the purpose. I think the purpose was to learn how to run a business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are some great schools out there that do a really good job at it. And then there are some I remember taking accounting in college. And I know I just said I'm a high school dropout, but I'm also a college <laughs> graduate. So I finally turned the corner. But I remember taking accounting, you know, accounting one, accounting two, and then you have corporate taxes mm -hmm. and all. And I remember just never wanting to be an accounting accountant, but thinking they're teaching, they feel like they have to teach you all aspects of accounting in a very short amount of time, which yeah. just confuses the crap out of me and makes it such an undesirable feel. <laughs> if you're working for corporate accounting, it's this law. If you're working for private accounting, it's this law. If you're yeah, working, like, what? Huh? what? Forget it. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Super crazy. So internet, after you do the internet thing, where'd you go from there? Just different different roles. I remember I in I kind of interned, I guess, one the last semester of college, and uh, I worked for this engineering firm, and it was a great experience. And then that last semester, I graduated. the The person that was at that particular job left the company. And was going to be the director of finance at a different company, and then so I graduate. You know. It doesn't look like there's a full-time position for me as an entry-level, you know, staff accountant. And so I'm just kind of like start getting all the resumes out there, start applying, trying to line something up. Now that I've graduated, it's like, oh, now I've got to get in the real world. I've got to get a job, you know. And so uh, luckily he reached out to me after he left the company and said, hey, I don't know if they've got a position for you there. But we definitely could use somebody over here to help with the books and help us with accounting. And so wow. it couldn't have been better timing. I was like, yes, let's, let's go, let's go do an interview and tell me more about it. Perfect. And when did you get into the cleaning aspect then? 
So as far as the cleaning aspect, I had worked a couple of jobs, a couple of startup jobs. And then in 2008, one of the jobs that I was at, that position ended up being a layoff situation. So this was 2008 and yeah, laid off, laid off situation. And 2008 was a tough year. I mean, we were having such a huge problem with recession and everything yeah, in 2000. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And after that, you know, my husband and I sat down, we prayed and we said, you know, I can, I can go and find another job. You know, accounting is, it's pretty easy to find a job if you get, especially if you got an accounting degree. But then, you know, we, the more and more we talked about it, the more and more we said, well, what would you think about starting our own business? And so kind of the idea started there. My husband had already been, you know, his own business owner doing detailing and had some experience as well. So I was like, well, you know, if he can make it work, I can make it work. So then it was just a matter of researching. What would we do? What what would this even entail? And so we started researching. I think we, we looked at economies that are pretty, you know, easy entry, pretty economic proof, and cleaning was one of the one of the industries that popped up. So then it was just a matter of continuing the research, looking at, okay, well, cleaning is just such a huge, you know, it's just a big picture, right? So how can we how can we look at maybe particular aspects of it and what do we like, what do we not like? And so we kind of just broke it down into two, either commercial cleaning or residential cleaning. Because of my background and business experience up to that point. Commercial cleaning felt like the the you know the better the better path to take. There's contracts in place. Employees know where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be. You know, you're given keys, badges, fobs, access to buildings. There's again, you know, there's contracts in place, and so you're expected. You know, consistent billing, consistent <laughs> revenue. Absolutely, absolutely, something that you can build on every single month. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of, that's what that's the the path we took, and. You know, we started out, put the website together, got the business plan together. I remember we went and filed a little uh, sole proprietorship down at the courthouse. And that's how that's how we got started. Really had no commercial cleaning other than, you know, residential cleaning and helping my mom every now and again up until that point. So really just learn the business, you know, on our own. I was going to say, you're going to have to take a crash course on how to bid jobs how to workload jobs, understanding how long it takes, what the expectations are of the client, what your specialty is going to be, right? So everybody has some, there's so many aspects to it that it's, it's at one point, it's really impressive how you kind of went, you know what, I think we're going to be business owners. I think that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Love that. But then you had to go, all right, what business? Yeah. And then you go, you could have said, you could have said, I'm going to start selling cars. And you would have had the same struggle. What kind of cars? Where are you going to put the cars? How much are you going to charge for cars? Right. Where are you going to get cars? Right. Right? <laughs> right. So, you know, business is business. And so, but that learning curve, how did you overcome the learning curve? How did you even know what to bid and how to bid? Just firsthand getting in there and learning the business firsthand, doing the work, kind of figuring out. Initially, I think you do it as maybe some folks, you know, some some companies do when they first start out. You kind of base it off of your time and, and how long it's taking you to clean. So that's kind of what we did at first, you know, average how long we we thought. And that was the thing, too, is that when you're looking at a location without having an experience, you know, prior to that, you're kind of going into it 
with your best knowledge and your best guess as to how many labor hours this should take, how many bodies this should take. And so, yeah, it's just kind of going with your gut instinct at that point. You know, we had couple of customers that we were already cleaning ourselves. And so you kind of just go based off of your experience, I think, up, up till that point. How did you go from you being the cleaner or you and your husband doing both getting the work and doing the work mm-hmm. to talk about when you actually started to hire other people? When did that happen? That happened, I think, three months or right before, sorry, three years, right before the three-year mark. I think we landed a contract that was big enough that we could hire my husband full-time. And so up until then, okay, so we had gotten laid off or I had gotten laid off in 2008. Those next three years, we were building this company and getting customers, doing the work, but we also had to keep the wheels on the bus. So we both still had full-time jobs. It wasn't like a clear jump off in 2008 where we can go, okay, we're going to start doing this company and this is what we're doing. We needed, you know, we had mortgages, we had car payments, we had babies to feed, so it was doing all of that, but within that, those three first three years, I think it was, you know, probably the hardest part of the company was we still are working full-time jobs. We're still, you know, going at night to clean these buildings, going on the weekends. Uh, but yeah, so that at the end of, close to the end of the third year, we got a contract that came in that allow, allowed us to hire my husband full-time as the director of operations. So he took care of that contract. And then sure enough, within the next three months, we worked hard to get more customers in so that way we could hire myself full time. So within three months, we were able to hire me full time. And then we realized, okay, shortly, you know, I think it was shortly right after that, we said, okay, we're to the point to where we are doing a lot of the work. If we want to continue growing this company, we have to have help. We have to have employees help us manage all of these contracts and, and, you know, do the actual work. And so, yeah, initially, you know, without knowing how to hire, what to look for, we just went with the folks that we know when that was, you know, our family that chipped in and helped us, you know, through that next phase of, of contracts or, you know, prospects that are still coming in, new business that's still coming in that we've got to meet, you meet the quality for. So that was... That was another probably big, big moment in the company. Once you realize that, okay, you can't do all of the work yourself. You you can, but you're not going to scale. That's right. You can't get out of your own way. I I love that it took you three and a half years. I hate that it took you three and a half years. (laughs) But I also, I mean, I feel like you're well suited for it. I mean, we we learned the business. What better way to learn the business than to do it? And it's like your college experience all over again, where Mm -hmm. instead of a part-time job, in addition to school, it's the part-time business in addition to work, right? So you were kind of already developed that muscle and that skill. See, this adversity is so important if you can use it to your advantage. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, I just heard this, this motivational speaker and his, his like tagline of the whole thing was, isn't it nice for you? Isn't it good for you? Like, oh, you lost a leg. Oh, good for you. Because you get because you can overcome that, right? Like there are so many people who don't have anything that they can go, you know, well, this happened. And that's how I, you know, there's not enough people are telling people that they can't do something, right? Yeah. So imagine when somebody says you can't do something, what do you want to do? You want to prove them wrong. A lot of people don't have that adversity to overcome. Mm-hmm. And that was this whole kind of fun way of saying, you know, good for you. But it's kind of good for you that you had to go through this because, you know. Enabled yeah. you to to be so much stronger here. You know, you can see it firsthand. You know the issues that 
that you face the the challenges and then too how does how to resolve issues how to resolve problems because you've already you faced those problems before so you know you know exactly what to do so where are we now how big are you how many employees yeah. do you have what so, what is your main client so Who today we are approaching close to 60 employees wow um, that is amazing. How long have you been in business? How long has it been? So started in 2008, so 13. So we just celebrated 13 years in April. That is super impressive. Yeah. Super um, impressive. We got 60, close to 60 employees. We do have a little pocket of employees, eight employees in the Houston area. So, yeah, I mean. And what's your, so what is your main business? Do you, how many service areas do you do? Do you do like construction, cleanup, class A, physical buildings, yeah. schools, hospitals? Do you do everything? What is yeah, your? Yeah, so we, I would say we, I kind of say we do it all except restaurants. We don't do restaurants. Really, the only thing we do for restaurants would be floor work. And the reason for that is oftentimes they've got their own personnel. Sometimes they even use their own staff, their own waiters. Like, you know, we've come into a situation where they want us to bid, but they, if they're slow, they'll use the waiters or they'll use, you know, the dishwashing staff. And it's just kind of, it's really hard to compete at that once you know, they give you kind of the numbers behind it because, yeah. you know, if you think about it, if waiters are making, I don't know what they're making, three, four dollars an hour. I can't, I can't hire. <laughs> I can't <laughs> hire for that. I can't compete with that. I won't be in business. Yeah, that's I true. Do. So, you I, know, you kind of just learn what your strengths are. Yeah, a million percent. I, not to get you into the restaurant cleaning business, that's not my intention, but I, but there's a lot of companies that only clean restaurants. Mm-hmm. They only clean bars, bars and, you know, bar slash restaurant kind right. of places. Right. The only, the biggest challenge that they have that I, that from what I understand, I've never cleaned restaurants or in bars. Mm-hmm. I work mostly in healthcare. So I'm like nursing homes, assisted mm-hmm. living hospitals. But the biggest challenge they have is they can't start cleaning until the bar closes. So it's like 2 a.m. 2 a.m. And it has to be cleaned by 10 a.m. So they're, you know, and if you have a lot of contracts, that 2 to 10 <laughs> is your yeah, is basically your time to work so yeah you're it's a very you're limited to your labor pool too because there's a very small percentage of employees that enjoy that type of cleaning and enjoy working those hours agreed so you know that's if you know that that's going to be a challenge then you're just kind of facing an uphill battle i know some custom companies that do very well in that space and mm-hmm, me too and they've somehow figured it out. So they're mm-hmm. obviously doing something right. I just know that for us, it wasn't one of our core strengths. And so that's something that we don't we don't pursue. Other than that, we clean uh, manufacturing space. We're in the in the class A facilities. What else do we do? Medical schools. What do, you, do you do like medical offices, like dentists, optometrists, mm-hmm. that kind of thing? Or do you yep. do actual long-term do- care, assisted living? None of the long-term care assisted living, it would be more of a actual dental offices or the MOBs, medical offices, yep. where doctors, you know, they go in at the end of the day and they've got to put all their notes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They're basically office, it's office space. Yeah, so no question. I understand. You know, there's doctors and, you know, whatnot in there. So that's probably the, the bulk of the work that we do. Then besides that, we also do construction cleaning, right? Which okay. is the best if you're going to get customers, that's the best kind of cleaning to do because you're already there. They've already seen your work. It's easy to move, transition that to then an ongoing relationship. 
We also do floor work. You know what's um, a, let me pause you just one quick second. You know, what's important about what you just said is the person who typically hires you to do the construction cleanup is Mm -hmm. the property manager. And that's also the person who hires the ongoing cleaner. Mm-hmm. cleaning yes. service for the property and that's yeah. that yeah. that again just leads to how that transition is so easy and why construction cleanup is so lucrative it's not right. lucrative in the moment it is it's lucrative yeah. in the long term for sure for sure yeah, yeah. The, i mean and even in the short term too those types of projects have such good margin because they're a specialized type of cleaning mm-hmm. they are they're strenuous for one, right? They're very physically demanding. It's not Mm -hmm. like doing the ongoing maintenance cleaning at a facility. You are like wiping down walls, you're doing baseboards, you're doing what I, what I like to call cleaning, clean dirt, which is basically cleaning, you know, sawdust off the floor. Yeah. Construction debris. Not that it's dirty per se, but it needs to be open and ready for when they open the doors. Yeah. I had a guy on the show the other day and his dad would he was a general contractor and he owned a cleaning company. And so he would bid both jobs. He would bid as the general contractor and he would also get the bid for cleanup. And then while he was the general contractor, he was very strict on, Hey, don't make the mess pick up after yourself because he was in charge of cleaning it as well. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. He knows how to, how to run a, you know, how to run a team and he knows from the construction standpoint, what the con what the trades are supposed to what kind of environment they're supposed to you know work in and how they're supposed to leave their construction site their area at the end of the day because he's got that cleaning experience yeah it is so interesting to me let me give you the the dichotomy here so i was on a plane recently Mm -hmm. flying all the time it seems but every time i don't know how long it's been since you've been on an airplane but (laughs) when but when you're when you're getting ready to land the flight attendants ask you, the customer, to clean up your mess. Yeah. And they'll walk by with a trash bag, but they're not going to clean your mess for you. They want you to clean it. Mm-hmm. And all of us, of course, clean our own messes. And right. we're just cleaning up after ourselves because the flight attendants are now responsible for cleaning the airplane. Mm-hmm. It used to be, we used to get, housekeepers used to get in or cleaners used to get seven minutes between flights to go in and clean airplanes. And then we do the deep clean overnight. So we're deep deep cleaning airplanes. It's happening overnight. All the flights are getting cleaned mm-hmm. at night. But then they changed it for whatever reason, contract negotiations with unions and all this stuff, pricing, you know. So they took away that seven minute between flights and they gave that responsibility to the flight attendants and the flight attendants turned around and gave it to the customer which I just think is brilliant. It's like, one of those, they're like, I'm not cleaning up after these guys. These animals are going to clean up after themselves. Right. Yeah. In healthcare, in healthcare, it is very common. Most of, let me say it this way. Most of the cleaning that the cleaners do in healthcare mm-hmm. are cleaning up after staff, mm-hmm. nursing staff, which means nursing staff can be sometimes with peace and love. I say this, they could be, they could be very careless with their trash, yeah, very careless with their gloves and, you know, the gauze. And then you find it all over the floor next to garbage cans and stuff. And you just wouldn't see that mm-hmm. in an airplane. And you don't see that in a construction site when the cleaner also is the contractor, <laughs> <laughs> right? It just lends that attitude of, hey, pick up after yourself so we don't have to have yeah. 
this big cleanup at the end. Yeah. But in my experience, especially in long-term care, it's a battle to get the staff to be a little more careful with their trash. It's mm-hmm. interesting. It's yeah, interesting. It's like the, the taught, the, what is that called? The expected behavior, you know, sounds like some training uh, opportunities because you didn't go from going in an airplane overnight to, oh, I've got to pick up all my stuff. Obviously, there was something along the way that led to that, some sort of, you know, training. They've trained us. Yeah, a million percent. And, you know, Disney is the same way. I remember I took a video the last time I was in Walt Disney World, which is years ago. But I took a video of they have this place where all these food marts are. So there's a Mm -hmm. ton of different little restaurant kiosks and all that. Yeah. And they're on both sides of the street of this main street or whatever. And right down the center, maybe every eight to 10 feet is a red garbage can. Mm-hmm. And there's just hundreds of them all down the center of the street. And they're pretty and they're painted and they have some characters on them. But there no, there's no question they're garbage cans. And there's no trash on the floor, on the ground, anywhere. And it just goes to show that, you know, Walt Disney World is going – the way our park looks mm-hmm. is important to us. It's important to our guests. And I am sure if I give my guests the ability, a trash can, and it's handy, and it's easy, and it's convenient, and they don't have to move more than five or six steps in either direction to get to one, that they will put it in the trash can. And I'm always reminded of that. It's such an important thing to know. Yeah, I'd love to see what the, that line item is on the PNL for uh, for waste baskets and trash cans. Yeah, no question. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> I have, I have since, I think around since 2008, 2009, we got, as you know, trash bags, the cost of trash bags went astronomical in 2008 because it's tied to gasoline prices, oil prices. So making trash bags is expensive. Transporting trash bags became expensive. And so our trash bags just became super expensive. And in the hotel industry, they just simply stopped using them, especially for, you know, for, for hotel rooms, for guests. They just, it's, it's, Rare to find garbage bags in a hotel room anymore in the resident in the hotel's space in the the customers the guest rooms. Instead, they have this like a piece of paper towel in the bottom of the trash can because it's way easier. Most people don't create messy, sticky trash. Mm-hmm. It's easier just to dump the trash into a trash bag, a larger trash mm-hmm. bag, than to put all these individual. Tra- and I'd been trying to bring that practice into healthcare. I can't tell you, <laughs> like, stop using garbage no. bags. <laughs> we can't afford them. Can't afford them. Somebody's uh, that was somebody's big bonus metric, right? How to save the company a lot of money, and you did that by cutting back on the on the trash liners. Yeah, I wish that that was the case. In my case, it was actually quite the opposite. Is that my company? You know, when we everything in healthcare is based on what they call a PPD or per patient day, mm-hmm. and so that's how you cost everything out. And they would mm-hmm. give you something like thirty five cents per patient day for all housekeeping supplies to include trash bags. Mm -hmm. And that number did not go up because my price went up. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't afford, you know, we're just, well, why don't we have, we don't have any trash bags in these rooms. Mm -hmm. And eventually you just got to go, you know what? Do we need trash bags? Just use the trash can. The trash can's in there and we'll empty the trash can. And if something spills in it, we'll wipe out the trash. What what else can I do? Mm -hmm. But that's how it happened. It didn't happen because I got a bonus. It happened just Mm -hmm. because I ran out of trash bags. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I was referring to like somebody's big, you know, at the very corporate level, somebody's idea was, you know what, we can save a lot of money by not putting trash bags in trash cans. 
<laughs> you certainly you certainly can as far as the cost of supplies. Yeah. But then there's that added cost, yeah. perhaps, of labor. Yeah. If you have to add time to empty them, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, who knows? So that's really fascinating. What's the next what's the next big thing? What are you guys focusing on now? You still just is what is your biggest client? Is it class A? Is it office buildings? What, yeah, what is some it? of our some of our biggest clients are either I would say probably half Class A office space or manufacturing. Oh, uh, very nice. Central Texas manufacturing is a big. It's a big industry, so it would probably be those those big you know big production buildings, big you know space. Oddly enough, with manufacturing, sometimes they have the giant box where they're producing you know wafers for the semiconductor industry or medical products and. Oddly enough, this office space of this giant building isn't very large, but since they've got such a big space, a big footprint, sometimes they need those those trash bins emptied in the rest of the manufacturing when maybe the office space is only, you know, five, 10,000 square feet of this 120,000 square foot building. Yeah, a million percent. And that I was just in a, I was just touring a cabinet maker factory. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing where the office space upstairs is a very small relative to yeah, the rest of the plant. <laughs> yeah. I love, so working in healthcare, the, there's been a big move, especially lately with COVID, but there's been a big move to hire contract cleaners for healthcare. Mm-hmm. But it still remains a very, it still remains where they do it themselves. The biggest competitor in, in healthcare is, hospitals and nursing homes that just hire their own housekeeping staff. You know, you're not competing per se with another cleaning company, right? Like, because they don't outsource it. Yeah. And I remember trying to figure out how to even formulate a pitch to nursing homes and hospitals Mm -hmm. about outsourcing. And I always remembered that whole thing about, about factories. Factories never confuse Mm -hmm. what job, what business they're in. They're mm-hmm. in the manufacturing, but they're not in the cleaning business. And so yeah. they always, they never go, hey, we need to hire housekeepers. No, mm-hmm. we need to hire a cleaning company. Yes. Right. Because their focus yep. is just on the manufacturing. Their focus isn't yeah. on hiring cleaners and making sure it's all done and having inspections. And all. Ah, give that to somebody else. Yeah. You know, so it's always a nice, it's always a nice dichotomy. You know, that so there are some industries that completely understand that. Yeah, but they get it. And mm-hmm. they get it. And then Absolutely. there are other industries that are like, well, I think we can do it. We could just do it ourselves, can't yeah. we? I don't know. Look yeah, at your it's, place. Is it- it's the value that you're going to add by managing the employees, managing the benefits, managing, you know, things that they don't want to manage or shouldn't have to manage because they're not, like you said, they're not in the cleaning business, mm-hmm. right? They are in the healthcare business. Your job is to make people better, right? Yeah, it's, it be your, your job is job. rehab. Your job is end of life care. Right. Your job is surgeries. Your job should not be how often is the trash emptied? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That shouldn't be your job. That's why that's why it's so and again, like I said, I mean the the healthcare industry at this point is just on fire. It's Mm -hmm. you know, if COVID did anything, it put a huge spotlight on the need for professionalism in the cleaning industry, especially in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Especially in healthcare. But not just healthcare. I mean it's the same thing in manufacturing, it's the same thing in Mm -hmm. hotels, same thing in class A office buildings, medical office buildings. Absolutely. Yeah. Back to the point about, you know, industries getting it. Manufacturing was one of those industries is still to my my point that they, they truly get it right. Manufacturing can't slow down. It's like healthcare, regardless of what happens in the world, whatever catastrophe we're having, 
manufacturing can't slow down. Healthcare can't slow down. Mm-hmm. Uh, they truly get it as far as, you know, industries that are making the investment on COVID safety and, and all of those requirements. They they didn't slow down at all last year. How did you do? You guys came out of it okay. So you guys were okay during COVID? You didn't have any yeah, slowdown? I mean, or? It was it was kind of scary at first. We had probably 25% customers reach out to us last March. And they said, hey, we need to we need to pause. We don't know what's going on, but we know we are not having employees, you know, at the level that we had before. So, you know, let's just stop. Let's just stop service and let's see where we are in the next month, too. And then, you know, the next three months, they were still in the same situation. So it was it was pretty scary for us. I think, you know, anytime that you're you're a service business and you get a 25 drop in revenue, almost, you know, from one month to the next and absolutely scary. And so I think we did okay. We started researching, you know, what to do, how to disinfect, what chemicals to use, what's safe, what's not. We were watching for a while there, we were watching the CDC like on a daily basis, reading whatever, what was the new, the newest release that they were sending out. So I think long-term, I think we'll be okay. We all of those, of that 25% that decided to pause service or stop service, all but I think three or four have come back in some form or fashion, maybe not at the same frequency as before, but unfortunately, you know, a couple did have to decided to shut their business down. And that's unfortunate to see. So I just have a, I just have a couple of questions before we get out of here. Number one, I would love to just know, like, what is your, if you go back to 13 years, look over the 13s, what's the biggest lesson you've learned over the last 13 years, or maybe even it's been after the last 18 months. I mean, who knows, right? So would you have a biggest takeaway right now? I guess probably for me, it's be responsive and be available. Respond to your customers' needs, whether it's a complaint, whether, you know, they're trying to reach out to you or whether it's a prospect, you know, respond quickly, answer your phone, <laughs> all the basics, right, that you should that you should know. It's tough to land customers if you yourself are not available. And people have different ways of communicating. Some are, you know, all text, some are all email, some are just phone calls. You kind of have to learn what, what works best for every every customer, every prospect, and play play at their level, you know. So I think that would be probably for me the biggest lesson that I've learned in the last 13 years. Be be available, be responsive. I think that's a huge part of our success. That's going to be one of the best answers I've received. <laughs> one of the it's so you're so right. I think I remember. So in healthcare, we're regulated by the state and by the federal mm-hmm. government. So they'll come mm-hmm. in and do a survey. And imagine just having a third party, a government entity, coming and looking at your corners and edges yeah. and going, "What are you doing about this?" Yeah. Like, good lord, you know, like it's. It's an interesting dynamic that you have to kind of meander and work with. But I remember one time when I first started out, first started in cleaning in nursing homes, I had a state surveyor say, how often do you clean this room? And I was like, oh, we do it however many times. And they said, is that enough? And I just remember, hmm, I don't know. I mean, according to who? I mean, I I think it's enough, you know, according to the customer, of course. Mm -hmm. What do they want? I was like, oh, I think it's enough. And then they said, this is the magic question. They said, how do you know? <laughs> hmm. I'm just assuming, you know, when you put yeah. it down like that, I mean, I guess I don't really know. Right. And so, you know, to your point, knowing what your customers want, like you go, we're doing a great job right back at you. How do you know you're doing a great job? Mm-hmm. What is your, you know, are you waiting for your customer to come talk to you? 
or you're proactively going to talk to your customer. If you're proactively going to your customer, how are you doing it? How are you communicating? How are you engaging? How do you know they're listening? You know, I put a newsletter together every week. How do you know they're reading it? You know, <laughs> it's, it's such an important, such an important question. And, and I love what you said that answer your phone, answer your phone, answer your phone. I talk to a lot of people who don't answer their phone. Oh, I'm, I hate spam. I love spam. If my phone doesn't ring all day, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, Six yeah. out of 10 of them are spam. But my phone's yeah. still ringing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Luckily, now it'll it'll show up that it's robo potential, or yeah, or po- telemarketer. Yeah, it's kind of nice. But yeah, answer your phone. You never know when it's somebody. I've landed a, a job customer that was here just on a one day visit. He managed it from out of state, and he said, "Can you get up here this afternoon? I really need to find service." Yep, I sure can. Went up there, looked at it that afternoon, met with him, sent them a contract the next day. The next afternoon, they signed it. We're still with them five years later. Once again, once again, I mean, just to highlight that, somebody called, you answered, they said, I need help. And you said, I'll be right there. Have the ability. You have the, the ability to answer your phone, the understanding how important it is to be involved, to, to be front and center of your customer base, and then to land the job five years. No wonder you're the president. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. So my final question before we get out of here, and I really, really do appreciate all your time. It's really amazing talking to you. And I'm so excited to be sharing sharing your story on the House Gears podcast because it's really, really great. My next big question is simply, what does the future look like for you? You know, let's just look at five years. What is your focus? Are you going to stay the same? Are you looking to expand? Are you going to double your your staffing? What is your, do you guys, have you guys sat down and done a strategy session lately and you just kind of know where you're heading or? Yeah, I mean, the next the next couple of years for us, we're going to focus on growth. The second part we're going to be focusing on is trying to have that infrastructure here to sustain that growth and to keep scaling. The same number of employees today are not going to be the same number of employees internally to help run the business in five years. And so part of my job is to figure out, okay, what does that look like? What positions do we need to hire for that now? So that way we can sustain the growth and we can maintain it long-term. So that's kind of like a puzzle right Mm -hmm. now that we're, that we're working on because the, obviously the goal is always to grow internally is the other, the other side of that too, is trying to, you know, from an accounting standpoint, trying not to grow so fast that we can't keep up with that, with that pace and then to make sure that along the way that we are taking care of our employees, that they still feel valued long term. And so, yeah, it's an interesting kind of a, like a puzzle, an ongoing puzzle. I think that you always have to look at what's the next year look like, the next three years, the next 10 years. Yeah, a million percent. Are you staying? Are you looking to add services or are you looking to expand further in one industry over another? I don't think we'll we'll be adding services. I think we're... We're pretty happy, I think, maybe growing the different departments so that way the different departments can internally continue growing in the different revenue streams. So janitorial right now is our biggest, our bread and butter. I'd like to see maybe the floor piece grow a little bit more, maybe the construction piece. So that way, you know, we're, we're able to tap into the different departments and continue maybe growing the bigger picture through those existing services. Yeah, that's really, that's really smart too. I like the idea of figuring out what you do really well and then figure out how to do more of it. Do that. Do a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> do, 
do more of that, right? That's uh, more of this, please. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I wish we had another hour or two because I'm so curious about things like your geography and the industries around you and what's coming up and is there new construction and you know right. you like just get right into the down and dirty details. Yeah. Dirty details. It's a cleaning podcast. It's <laughs> the dirty details of you know what opportunity is out there and how it's going to mm-hmm. how you're going to be able to respond and react to it and. Should you get staff before you get the contract or get the contract and then get staff? And how often, you know, how, how quickly do you grow your office staff, which mm-hmm. undoubtedly makes you no money? <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. No, no, you know, it's so, coming in from that. Yeah, for sure. You're speaking my favorite subject. So I could spend another hour. And uh, I thank you so much for letting me come on and kind of share my story with everybody. And uh, hopefully they, they heard something of value and something that they can put in place into their existing businesses. I guarantee that is the case. You have quite an inspiring story. So it was super fun. Where do people get a hold of you? Is it, can people reach out to you? Are you hiring? Are you you looking for staff? How do people get a hold of you? Yep. Our website company website is expresscommercialcleaning.com. Just click on the employment tab. You've got a list there. Um, Personally, I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. I love connecting with like-minded business owners on LinkedIn. Yeah. Twitter. I think we're on Twitter as well. Yep. Yeah. Great. Great. So you're on all the social media platforms and on this podcast, all your information and all your links and everything will be in the show notes. So people will be able to reach out to you and get a hold of you. So hopefully if anybody has any cleaning needs or if you're looking for a job, are you, do you hire mostly part-timers? At yes, this stage? The bulk, yeah. The bulk of our staff is part timers. Uh, typically, they've got full time jobs, and so Perfect. they're looking for supplemental income. That has worked out the best for us. Perfect. And then we do have some some full timers as well. Full part time people who have full time jobs are yep. the backbone of America at this yep. point. They because it's hard to get people from the couch to go yes. to work, yep. but it's very easy to get people who have a full time job to take a couple of extra hours a night. Yeah. No, they're in there and they're goal oriented. So we always Makes ask sense. during interviews, what goals do you have for yourself this year? And they mm-hmm. tell me, oh, I'm trying to get my child married or I'm saving mm-hmm. up for a house. Mm-hmm. Okay, hire. Chris, Christmas is always a great. <laughs> this is a good motivator. <laughs> Christmas is the best motivator in the world. For sure. Yeah. If you're short staffed in November and December, you're, you're, you're asking you're the wrong questions. Yes. Yeah, that's super great. All right. Thank you so much, Evelyn, for being on. This is the Housekeepers Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you share and like and subscribe to the show. And, of course, tell everybody about how wonderful the Housekeepers Podcast is. And please reach out to Evelyn. She would love to hear from you and anything she can do to help you. I bet she would do. She'd be able to clean anything that you've got coming her way in the Texas, middle Texas, right? What is it? What did you say? It was yep, Reg- Central Texas. What was the town? Red, not Red Rock. Uh, Round Rock, Texas. Round Austin, Rock. Texas. Round Rock, Austin. Yes, yes, yes. So super great. That's it. The Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you, guys. That's it. The Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Keep in mind, the best way to ensure that you never miss an episode of the Housekeepers Podcast is by subscribing to the show and following us on social media. For those of you who are more visually stimulated, you can always watch us record the show live each week on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. In fact, we post all of our videos on YouTube, so make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you love the show and you want to help us out, 
please consider writing a review and sharing the show with all your friends and families and colleagues. And if you are looking for more information about today's guest, all of their contact information and the links to their websites are in the show's notes. That's it. Until next time, this has been the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am Ralph Peterson, and I'll see you later.